We're proud to once again be partnered with the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund. Purses in Kentucky are powered by the KTDF and have led to an incredible enhancement to the Kentucky racing scene. KTDF dollars and purses are only for Kentucky bred horses, so breeding in Kentucky is the best way to maximize profits and return on racing and breeding investments. Because of the benefits from the KTDF, Churchill Downs Racing and Kentucky Racing Circuit as a whole continues to be on an incredible upward trajectory. For more information, please check out inthemoneypodcast.com slash KTDF. Welcome to the Friday, September 29th in the Money Players podcast. I am Nick Tamaro, deputizing for the one and only Peter Thomas Fornital, who has taken his talents to live streams this weekend. I think Pete is doing about as many live streams as somebody with an OnlyFans account. Um, so you can keep up with all of those and don't think about Pete doing an OnlyFans account whatsoever. Get your minds out of the gutter, horse players. I know we're there often enough when we're reading the form. But again, I'm here. I'm going to be joined by a few guests to cover some racing from uh, pretty much across the globe. We're going to go to Churchill Downs. We're going to talk about Belmont at Aqueduct. We're going to talk about Woodbine, and we're going to cap things off with a JRA conversation with our man Klaus Ebner, where I will touch on some of the Japanese hopefuls for the Breeders' Cup. They, of course, uh, unleashed quite an onslaught in 2021 at Del Mar, and I think we're going to get some pretty significant representation from the Far East once again. But we kick it off under the Twin Spires at one of my favorite places in the world, and undoubtedly one of his as well, with a Churchill Downs look at Saturday's late pick five. I am joined by Kevin Kirstein. Kevin, one question for you to start. How many times have you watched the Kelsey documentary on Amazon Prime so far? Uh, I haven't watched it yet, actually, Nick, and it's because I have two kids that are under the age of three, and I can't watch anything on TV except for Miss Rachel and the Wiggles. So I'm waiting to watch the Kelsey documentary until maybe one day the grandparents can watch them. You're, you're an early riser, too, so you don't get that – you don't get that cushion after they've both gone to sleep. And, of course, congratulations to you and your lovely wife, Allison, on your two kids. Glad to uh, hear that they're both uh, they're both getting on pretty well so far. It's nice to see the pictures and the updates. But, yeah, the Kelsey documentary, very strong, very strong recommendation from me. I got it from a Philadelphian, Pat Cummings, of course. And he uh, we started watching it the other night, my wife and I, and – she realized about 10 minutes into it that it wasn't about Travis Kelsey. And I think her interest really plummeted. But it, uh, I, I told her, I said, you do need to understand that before there was Travis, there was Jason. And he is actually, in terms of football players, every bit as good, if not better, and a future first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, no doubt about it. There are a couple of lines from his wife, who is as Philadelphia as they come, that you're absolutely going to love. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a great watch and a strong recommendation for me, especially for all the uh, the Eagles fans out there, and, and and even those that aren't. It's uh it's something that you'll definitely enjoy. So put it on the list I, behind uh, Mrs. Wiggles and anything else, and and Bluey and, and any any other things that might come across your screen. Well, I, I you know it's funny because my wife and I have talked about it obviously, and you know it's we're a Philadelphia Eagles household, even though she wants to try and be a a Cincinnati Bengals fan. She's she's a Louisvillian, so they don't have a pro team here so she ventures to Cincinnati because that's what her brothers and parents grew up with and I told her it's you know mainly Jason and she was disappointed too I I don't get it it's this Travis Kelsey love with Travis or Taylor Swift and all this other crap it's Jason Kelsey Jason is the man not Travis 
No, totally agree. And I will tell you this much about Travis Kelsey and his uh, supposed current uh, flame. Uh, if she does go to the Jets game, then she really does love him. God, you couldn't pay me enough to go to the Jets game. And yeah, that's, that's the talk of the NFL. It's crazy. I don't think he'll have to worry about Zach Wilson stealing her away, even though we know that uh, that Zach Wilson does have some affinity for older women. Anyway, nobody's tuned in for you and I to offer our horrible opinions on pop culture. We They do want to know a little bit about these races. And, of course, another tremendous card at Churchill. Big credit to Ben Huffman and everybody in the racing office on the quality of the product that we've seen. That's part of the reason why your handle's up double digits. It is just a really fun product to look at and bet on on a daily basis. And the late pick five on Saturday afternoon starts in race seven at 3.53 Eastern time. We've got two other than optional claimers and a mutual friend of ours, Norm Cassie, will, uh, who's uh, – has his second child been born? I don't know if the, the foal has dropped yet. It's very close. I mean – Very close. I, I, I knew September – I thought late September, early October was the due date. It's, Gabby was really packing. The official date, I think, was October 1st. Like, I think – Okay. You know, he doesn't drop in the next two days. He's going to be out October 1st. Another male Cassie is exactly what the world needs, but I won't launch into that. Um, Norm has Megan's Clara on the inside for a little red feather racing, a horse who he took over and has done nothing but improve by roughly 15 to 20 points. She looks like a real contender from the inside. What did you think of this opening leg kick? You know, it's not the most difficult race in the world, I thought. And, and the sequence itself is uh, very interesting because, you know, what do you do later on in the sequence in some of these stakes, playing against favorites, leaning towards favorites? Where can you find your separating uh, prices? And, you know, for an allowance condition, I didn't think this was the, the most difficult field of them all. I'm really keying in on altered shot in this race. I thought this was a very aggressive spot for Greg Foley and his team. She's in for the $80,000 optional tag, and you look at her, and she's, you know, 6 for 22 lifetime. She's earned, you know, nearly $450,000, and she isn't quite a stakes caliber mare. And so you look as she's going to turn 6 next year in for this $80,000 tag to be able to run at this level again, and she doesn't really have all that much maybe attention in the breeding shed. She's by alternation. She's out of a proud citizen mare. Probably doesn't have that much value there. So I thought it was very aggressive for him to just run her back in the same condition for the $80,000 tag saying, okay, if we win this race and get the lion's share of this massive purse, then, uh, you know, I so be it. And she can get claimed for $80,000. So I think it's a very aggressive spot for the Greg Foley team. I think she's going to be my key to kick things off in this late pick five. I do think Megan's Clara has absolutely improved with Norm Cassie. She's also in for that $80,000 optional tag. And I think she can graduate for this uh, allowance condition too. She she won last time out and showed, showed some grit. I thought Ricardo Santana Jr. is probably going to fit her better, uh, breaking from the rail, going six and a half furlongs, maybe a bit more aggressive spot early on into the race. So uh, I do agree that, you know, I can see people using her, but just the way that I'm structuring my ticket, I'm going to key in on altered shot here to kick off the late pick five. I like it. I think it's a good start and a good opportunity to uh, go a little narrow where some people might cast a wider net. I think that's always always an intelligent thing to do. Zig when they zag. A um, couple of horses that you mentioned <clears throat> to me looked like real contenders as well. Race number eight is the Jefferson Cup at a mile on the turf. This is for three-year-olds uh, going that eight furlong trip. And you've got horses in here that at times have looked like real stakes contenders uh, potentially real graded stakes horses as well, including more than looks, who is a real graded stake horse, having won the Manila two starts back and then finishing a good third behind Carl Spackler 
who will uh, make an appearance at Keeneland next week in the Coolmore Turf Mile. But I'll tell you, uh, KK, it's actually a recent maiden winner in the Four Noises Off that I think gets a lot of attention for Paolo Lobo. Yeah, you know, for me, when horses are exiting Kentucky Downs, it's sort of like, do you draw a line through the race or do you look at that effort and say, maybe that's legitimate because horses either love or hate Kentucky Downs. I always like to, you know, hear, you know, trainers and owners say, you know, after they run a horse at Kentucky Downs, you really can't think anything differently of a horse because sometimes they just didn't get it over the ground. But then you look at this horse's race, two starts back down at Ellis Park, where he ran second, beating a half length that day, uh, going a mile and an eighth. And I thought, that was a pretty legitimate effort. And even though it did take him in eight starts to break his maiden, I think he's in for the, the right spot here against three-year-olds here in the Jefferson Cup. Uh, if you're playing a little bit of the jockey game, you know, Christian Torres rode this horse in the last two starts. He's one of Paulo Lobo's main riders. And Christian opts to ride more than looks, who also is very key in the Barnashuri DeVoe. I can see why he would ride this horse because he won uh, aboard him, breaking uh, that first level allowance condition three starts back. So probably a little bit of difficult decision, but you're not getting any slouch with Tyler Gaffleone jumping aboard noises off. So I think, you know, you could probably sneak by this race using just these two. Um, you know, curious to see what Smoky Mandate can do. Uh, you know, does he show that same tactical early speed that he did in the Gunrunner stakes last time out? Uh, down at Kentucky Downs, can he, you know, get a loose lead under James Graham from Mike Maker? Maybe, maybe he's one that you can include at eight to one on the morning line. Uh, you know, he just has to get faster in those races at more of a conventional tracks where he did at Horseshoe Indianapolis and Turfway. You know, he ran the big figure at Kentucky Downs last time out, and like I said, to you know, kick off this race, do you trust the Kentucky Downs race or not? But maybe he can uh, get a little bit away from this field and show some tactical footing into the first turn and, and control things on the front end. But maybe just four and seven for me here in the uh, the Jefferson Cup. I think it's a great uh, great spot to try and hone in on those two. It looked like the other contenders you might be having to make a little bit too too strenuous a case for, if you will. Um, but it did feel like one of those two should get it done. I, I guess there'll be a little support for Ocean Vision as well. He didn't have necessarily the cleanest of trips in the Hall of Fame. Did get a little was a little keen early in a fast paced race. Makes you wonder if ultimately he might want to go a little bit shorter. Race nine is the Akak, a Grade Three at a mile on the main track, and it is uh, in many ways the opportunity for Zozos to rebound from an uncharacteristically poor performance in the Philip Islin up at Monmouth. He has been virtually untouchable in Kentucky, at least in 2023, with wins in the Knicks go and the Hanshin both at, uh, at this mile trip. And he looks like the horse to beat pretty clearly to me. Yeah, he, he definitely should be the horse to beat. And the way that, you know, you sort of heard the last two races, the way I'm going to my tickets, I'm going narrow. And that's because I'm trying to beat Zozos because I think he's going to get some heavy backing here. Um, you know, I think he just got the perfect setups and perfect fields that he beat uh, two, three, and four starts ago. Um, he then went to, you know, Monmouth and he just, you know, I, I get it. It was a mile and a 16th and, you know, he's probably a, a good miler. But the way that he, you know, set softer fractions on the front end and he just clearly just didn't, you know, take either the track or just completely gave way was really just a, you know, a puzzling effort for me. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to try and beat him with Stage Raider, who I think is a now horse. Cherie DeVoe has really gotten the best out of him and that Cowboy Jones, even though I don't think that was the strongest race of, uh, you know, of the Cowboy Jones stakes in previous years, I do think that, you know, he's maybe into his best form right now. And Sharice Barnes, she's really uh, done well with him. 
Obesos is a very unlucky horse for the Greg Foley team. Uh, you know, he was on his way to New York last year to, you know, go in grade one competition. And then he uh, got, you know, turned around literally in Ohio because there was a herpes outbreak at Churchill at the end of the fall meet. And so he was sort of working, Greg Foley and the team were working with the New York Racing Association to try and get this horse up there when uh, everything cleared up on the backside. And so they literally told him to leave the backside had to turn around in Ohio because they sent, then said he wasn't going to be accepted coming into New York. He goes down to fairgrounds and then he uh, pulls up bad after work, gets injured. And then he's finally resurfaced down at Ellis. I thought he ran a good race going six and a half down at the Jeff Hall Memorial. Uh, he probably wants to go further than this. And I'm really excited to see him go this one turn mile. I think that's going to suit him very well uh, with Tyler Gaffleone in the saddle. So I'm going to use him. Three Technique is a horse that loves Churchill, but maybe this mile is going to stretch him a little bit too. Uh, you know, if you're pushing for a top pick in here, it's Obesos. But I do think this race is a little bit deeper than Zozos uh, at six to five on the line. So funny stage raider story, which is a little, little, little drifts away from where what we're trying to do here. But uh, stage raider, of course, is a, a half sibling of Justify, 2018 Triple Crown winner, and uh, he's also a half to the lieutenant. So years ago, I want to say it was in 2017, I was at Del Mar and I went with a couple of friends to Michael McCarthy's barn. And we were walking around the barn and he, we came upon the lieutenant and he said, we said, you know, who's that? And he said, the lieutenant. And I knew immediately who the lieutenant was. And he said, you know, he got a hundred buyer speed figure last time at Golden Gate. He's like, it's one of the highest speed figures I've ever seen at Golden Gate. And I said, yeah, I'm not sure that I would trust that figure though. He said, really? Why? I said, because I'm the one who gave him that figure. <laughs> and Michael McCarthy thought it was extremely funny, which it was. Um, but yeah, Stage Raider, of course, uh, tells his friends that he's Justify's brother a little bit before he brings up the lieutenant. But yeah, fun, fun edition of this race. And I do think that Zozos is a horse that he just doesn't really get your blood flowing. You know, he, he, he has run well on a number of occasions, but there's just something about him that has just never really gotten me all that excited. And I wasn't surprised to see him kind of flop in the... Uh, in the Island last time out. We'll see if he bounces back. The featured event on the card is race 10, the Lucas Classic, at a mile and an eighth, of course, named for the venerable trainer, Dwayne Lucas, who uh, has won just about every race on the planet that matters. And this race is a, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a lot like the Woodward KK in that you have a lot of horses that look okay. This one at least has a standout, whereas the Woodward doesn't. That standout, of course, being Rattle and Roll, who is looking to win his uh, fourth graded stake of 2023, coming in off a couple of losses. But I don't really think that he's lost any luster with those uh, Stephen Foster and Jockey Club Gold Cup defeats. So what did you think of, of this spot? You know, it's interesting you, you mentioning the Woodward and, and here in the Lucas Classic. I think we're starting to see a lot of these older horses that we look at on paper and they're like, man, are these really Breeders' Cup Classic type horses? And, you know, I think with this wide open older division that we're seeing is, you know, it's really up for grabs. And so, uh, you know, Rattle and Roll could really stamp himself forward uh, into this Breeders' Cup Classic picture if he, he wins this Lucas Classic. And uh, the one thing that I, you know, just a, a curious thing for me, I, I get it. He's, you know, been in good form this year he was a bit flat last time out in the jockey club gold cup at saratoga and i thought it was interesting that you know kenny mcpeak basically sent his entire barn back to churchill and keeneland and this horse stayed in new york for the last two works and it was just or stayed in, at, at saratoga and so i was just like a little bit intri intrigued of you know why did he keep him at saratoga and didn't send him 
back down with the main string here in Kentucky where, you know, his top assistants and, and Kenny is based. So just a little bit curious because of that. Uh, Brian Hernandez Jr. said he, he, you know, he hasn't seen the horse at all um, since that Jockey Club Gold Cup. But he said, if you go, go back and look at the race in the New Orleans Classic when he raced off the layoff, he was just flat that day, too. And so he last ran in the Stephen Foster before going to the Jockey Club Gold Cup. And, uh, you know, that was two months. And so maybe he was just a little flat and needed the race. Uh, I think he's a very deserved favorite. The one thing that's interesting for me in this race, Nick, is there could be some speed in here. And could that set up a horse like Happy American from the rail, who is such a quirky horse, but when he gets the right setup, like he did in the Louisiana Stakes way back in January, and even a little bit in the Foster last time out, could he outrun, you know, his odds and, and be one that uh, could upset this field? He's three for six lifetime at Churchill Downs. But again, he's a very quirky horse, needs the exact right setup. And there is some pace in here between, uh, you know, five star general and Whalen Springs. They may be able to show some early gas that'll set things up for him late. So, uh, you know, rattle and roll the one to beat. But the pace could set up for Happy American making the first run from off the pace. Yeah, it's a disgraceful red board on my part, but I, I played Happy American underneath in the Foster, so he owes me nothing, and I'm all about hearing any case made for him. I he got a he got a great ride from James Graham that day. I mean, he saved ground when he could, and he got some pace to run out. But yeah, I, I agree with the sentiment that the, the table might be set in a similar fashion. I also wonder if Trademark isn't a little bit interesting. He ran better than it looks on paper in the Salvatore Mile. And, you know, a horse like this that's always been a little bit better at Churchill with ascending buyer speed figures and an opportunity to get a good trip stalking the pace, I thought he looked a little bit dangerous to me. Um, both him and Wayland Springs, if they're over 10 to 1, they feel like the kind of horses you want to use in some capacity because they're not appreciably slower than than a horse like Rattle and Roll, who, you know, while he has won a number of meaningful races has never exactly wowed you with anything that you would say, okay, you know, if he runs that race, then he's going to be exceptionally tough to beat. The only horse who really has those kind of performances is American Revolution. The problem with American Revolution is that his last race was brutal. And I, I'm glad that Todd is taking another opportunity to run him. The fact that he's shipping him to Churchill when the Woodward was in his backyard, I know he has charge it running in the Woodward. It's not the greatest sign. This feels like a horse that a five to two or three to one, you're supposed to be totally against. Absolutely. Like I, I, I can't even see using him. Like I was, you know, I get why Mike Battaglia made him five to two on the line because he probably will take some, you know, casual horse player money because it's Todd and he's won a grade one and uh, get leading rider Tyler Gaffleon. So I get it why this horse could take money. He's not going to take any of my money, though. He's just not for me at all. He's going to really have to prove it to me and have to run better. Totally agreed. Nightcap and the uh, closing leg of this sequence is race 11 at a mile and a 16th on the turf. Uh, this is for maidens going this trip in another really difficult way to end the sequence. I thought the uh, six elegant trip was a little interesting getting more ground. Rusty Arnold stretches this one out. Pretty good numbers doing that. And uh, But this is just a, one of a number of horses that looks like they could win this race. Yeah, that's a perfect, you know, segue to how I'm playing my ticket because, you know, my opinions were sort of narrow early on in this week sequence. And, you know, I think like a lot of horse players and, you know, if you have an opinion in this race, it's a great race to be a separator from. I just don't really have the strongest opinions. I agree with you on Elegant Trip. Uh, definitely one that's live to use. I thought, you know, taking the blinkers off Orby one just to his inside for John Ortiz. Um, this horse has shown some tactical speed, not some, you know, not the fastest horse in the world, but, you know, 
taking the blinkers off, maybe able to relax a little bit. Ricardo Santana jumps aboard this one. I thought it's one to definitely use. And then, you know, a question mark like given to fly, who's a first time starter, when you sort of have seen, you know, what these horses are in this race, I, you know, taking a newcomer like this may not be the worst thing in the world. Uh, when you get Tyler Gaffleon for Brendan Walsh, uh, you know, they're a very live, uh, pairing there. So, you know, this is the race I'm going to spread in a little bit missionaire, maybe for Robertino Diodoro, uh, you know, drawing a line through that Kentucky downs race. If you go back to when this horse ran a Gulfstream this winter, I thought ran a solid effort that day in the Christoph Clement barn. I thought the horse's looked just okay in the mornings but it's a turf horse that's a turf route horse doesn't need to wow you in the mornings but does you know have smooth gallops and works for for robertino and christian torres so he's one of the many horses i think i'm using in this race nick you know if i could go the all button i will but that's going to be a field of 12 and uh that could be a little expensive on the the budget for me yeah, that might tighten things up just a little bit. It is a, a very tricky way to end what is another terrific sequence. And uh, we really appreciate you joining us to take a look at it. The uh, closing day card on Sunday will feature a mandatory payout of the single six. So we'll have to have everybody locked into that. And then, of course, racing will shift to Keeneland for a month. And morning line bashing will commence on Twitter. And I can't wait. I mean, you've got the thickest skin in the world. I mean, all these Twitter experts or ex experts, as we can now call it now, you know, everyone thinks they can do a better job. It's not the easiest task. Just look here in this last race at Churchill. How in the world can you make a morning line favorite in that race? And they want you to make, you know, perfect lines every time. So good luck. I've got your back. It's not the easiest task in the world. I appreciate it. I know a Philadelphian like you will put up with very little, so I like it. And I try to uh, to act in that image as well. KK, thanks so much. Everybody, be sure to follow Kevin on Twitter, of course. He's got a ton of great info on a daily basis about Churchill Downs, including scratches and stakes advances, things like that. I think as we get towards the November meet and some of the stars of tomorrow cards, we'll certainly be talking again. I am greatly looking forward to it. Thanks again to Kevin Kirstein, and we're going to keep moving right along. We here at the In The Money Media Network are very excited to be partnered with the New York Racing Association for the rest of 2023, where we will feature Saturday racing coverage each week on the Players Podcast, as well as daily write-ups and analysis at InTheMoneyPodcast.com from people like me. Also, be sure to look out for picks on the Naira.com website under the Picks, Plays, and Promotions page. Lastly, make sure you don't miss America's Day at the Races coverage across the Fox family of networks for a full schedule of coverage Please visit InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash TV. Up next on the In The Money Players podcast, we're going to turn our attention to the Belmont at the Big A Saturday car. Joining me, the one and only Andy Serling. And he is a man that doesn't need an introduction. What he needs is a question. Andy, What? Uh, how, how are things going in terms of you building your canoe so that you can properly navigate the, uh, the Northeast right now? You've seen about roughly, what, 20, 25 inches of rain in the last two months? Feels like it. I, I guess New York City, I know it's over eight inches of rain in September, uh, which means it must have rained sort of even the first week. Um, and, you know, we're getting at least an inch and a half or two on Friday. So and possibly a more. Um, it's it's staggering. <laughs> it's a little tough. It's making it's, things hard. It has been a very challenging summer and early fall. We're going to hope for a little bit better weather. But obviously during our conversation here, we'll 
acknowledge, of course, the effect that weather could have on some of these races and um, and do the best with it that we can. We're going to touch on the stakes. Obviously, it is a stakes-laden program on a really terrific card on Saturday. We obviously would have hoped for better weather, but there's nothing you can do, and we're not going to bitch about it. So let's just get right into it. The first stake race is the Vosburgh, which goes as race number three. I mean, this is very simple. It's going to take something very much unforeseen to beat Cody's wish, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to beat him, but I think the only reason you would say, well, why I might want to look against him is to suggest that he ran even worse than he should have in the in the Whitney. Yeah, he's a horse that's, it's not that it's a one-turn, two-turn thing, because he's run well at two turns before. It's a pace scenario, and he didn't get a particularly quick pace, and he didn't get it done. So maybe the possibility is he won't get that, 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 uh, um, you won't get that kind of pace in here. And his main competition, Accretive, is a horse that's going to be forward. But man, Accretive would have to move forward and he'd have to take a big step back to, lo- to lose to him. So I expect him to win. Yeah, I think you made a key point there. And, and I'll admit with full disclosure that nobody's influenced my handicapping in my life more than you. And you and I have discussed this particular topic in the past about closers at one turn versus two turns and things like that. And it, it really is a conversation that has everything to do with pace, not so much preference in terms of track configuration and things like that. It feels to me at times like if you're attributing his struggles at one versus the other, you're doing it in a sort of lazy and flippant way. And you're misunderstanding the fundamental part of, of handicapping the game, which is understanding how races are run. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the one turn sprints, the elongated sprints have faster paces and it helps a closer. I mean, I think it's a, I think the one turn, two turn thing is one of the dumber things people talk about racing, frankly. It's, it's all about race dynamics. It's fast paces, slower paces. I, we could talk about it for a while, but then we'd run out of time. Yeah, we would. Let's go to race five. Bill Mott is going to saddle another heavy favorite wearing the Godolphin blue in number one, Caramel Swirl, who I'm guessing is going to be awfully happy to take a look to her right in the starting gate and not see Goodnight Oliver Echo Zulu. Yeah, I mean, the, her potential Achilles heel is a relative lack of pace, but I actually think she's been better this year than she's ever been on a consistent basis. I thought she ran well in the Better Roses, and I actually thought she ran well in the Ballerina, which was a super impossible pace. She made that middle move and sort of at least tried to do something in an impossible spot in a fast pace. And she's just very, very good. I, I'd love to make a case against her, but I'm not going to. I mean, I kind of like Beguin, but I'm a little disappointed in Beguin. I know she's the speed and that may help her. But honestly, I think the second best horse might be undervalued asset. Um you know, she, she ran the best race last time in Charlestown because the winner was able to sit comfortably in the rail where she had aggressively be moved early from the 10 post. I don't think Sterling Silver is impossible either, though she's a bit pace compromised, but I don't see any reason to try to beat Caramel Sorrel. Yeah, I thought that was, uh, that, that seemed like the way you'd want to go. And, and look, I mean, one of the things that, that came up in conversation after the ballerina was that a lot of horses ran arguably their best races in their careers in that race. And I think caramel swirl is one of them. I think if that wasn't her, her best race, it was pretty damn close to it. The buyer figures bear that out. And, um, and I thought she put a real run into them around the turn, as you alluded to before ultimately succumbing to, uh, to two of two horses that not only are standouts this year, but Echo Zulu and Goodnight Oliver stand, would be standouts in this division in almost any year. So no shame in, in coming up uh, uh, somewhat distant fourth to them. Uh, moving on to race number six, which is the Joe Hirsch Turf Classic at a mile and a half. 
I'm not going to say anything about whether people on Twitter might ask you if this race is going to stay on the turf. I'm sure someone will, and I'll leave it at that. I'll tell you what, though, Andy, this is a really cool running of this race because we've got the one, two, three finishers in last year's Breeders' Cup turf back here, and you wish it was going to be run on a firmer turf course. Ultimately, these horses will get firm turf in roughly five weeks at Santa Anita, but this could be over a little bit of a bog. Is it what stands out to you in terms of handicapping this race? Because I'm guessing you're not somebody that's just going to concede it to Rebels Romance. No, I don't see any reason to concede it to Rebels Romance, to be honest with you. I don't. The Dolphin horses aren't doing their little magic dance in North America this year the way they have in past years. They've won some races when they were overwhelming favorites against weak fields. I mean, the Woodbine race was a joke, and obviously that Jock Club Oaks was a joke. So I'm not going to concede it to them. It does feel like with a given the ground that being forward could help a little bit. Um, but it's hard for me to really expect Grand Sonata to win. Obviously, so high is not going to win, you know, and, and even Astronaut who can be close. I mean, I guess he's run some OK races, though. I don't particularly like him, though. He didn't run it badly, the Turf Classic last year. I mean, you have to ask yourself how you feel about Warlike Goddess. I, I don't believe she's as good this year as last year, but. She was ranked last time, and she still managed to run almost a winning race. So I'm not wildly against her, and her price won't be bad. I also think Stone Age will run better in here. He was probably a little too aggressive last time. And, you know, in this race, he can rate a little more. And I think the race fell apart a little bit last time. So I'm probably going to bet against Ro Rebels Romance with Stone Age or Warlike Goddess. I haven't made any final picks here. Soldier Rising could always get a piece. He just never wins. Yeah, see, I see. I think I think this is a great opportunity to buy low on Stone Age, and I didn't like him last time at all. I don't know how much he's helped by what could be softer ground. I certainly don't think he's hurt by it, given that you know he did finish second in a Group One as a two-year-old back in in twenty twenty-one over heavy turf in in uh, in France. So I, he looked to me like a horse that needed a race last time, and it makes perfect sense coming back off a, a six-plus-month layoff and being asked to go a mile and a half. I still think his Breeders' Cup turf was a race that's easily good enough to win this. Maybe he was helped by it being a firmer turf course, but you're going to get the kind of price in here that's really appealing to me because he's he's going to be every bit of the third choice and a distant third choice at that with the way the public has always taken to Warlike Goddess and the popularity that a horse like Rebels Romance has, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not against. I'm against Rebels Romance. He's going to beat me, but uh, we're like goddess. I'm not against. I'm a little concerned. She's a little over the top, but I still think she's okay. She did, of course, miss uh, her second. What was supposed to be her second engagement at Saratoga in the uh, in the Flower Bowl, um, but ends up coming here off of. Uh, a somewhat, I guess a somewhat short-looking work tab, only three workouts. I don't know how much I want to read into that. That's not really my cup of tea, but um, I, I think she's I think she's a horse that you're supposed to be. Yeah, I'm not big on what trainers say, but I actually did ask Bill Mott about her. Um, I think I was walking out of the track with him on that weekend, maybe in that day. And uh, he said, you know, she just kind of got a little sick and missed a work or something. He said he just couldn't make it. He didn't. He really didn't seem overly concerned. I know that sometimes we 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 you know, that raised our eyebrows, but he really just didn't seem that concerned. The fact she's running is a good sign. Yeah. Understanding, of course, the main objective is still out there. She's already won a Joe Hirsch and she can't really add terribly much value to herself right now. A uh, race seven is the Woodward at a mile and an eighth. And uh, this field came up obviously without a standout, but that doesn't matter at all because this field is really, 
really terrific from a betting perspective. And I thought there was just a lot of contention in here. Um, I, I'm among those people that really is going to be is going to find a race appetizing when a horse like Zandon is going to go off a relatively short price. Just because I, I'm not convinced that he's truly a nine furlong type of horse, though he is clearly the horse to beat. He's the worst to beat, and he's going to get more pace in this race than he normally gets. And I think that makes him the horse to beat. I, I'm not picking him on top either. Um, I'm going to bet Tyson. Um, I feel as though Tyson's a horse that actually ran pretty well last time. He really did get completely slammed to start last time, and it did take him out of his game a little bit, and I thought he ran reasonably well in a decent enough race. Who are the killers near? I'm supposed to trust Charge It? And I don't stand as win. Algiers actually ran really well in the World Cup. But do we really trust that he's a dirt horse or he's a he's a horse that's run well over and made on? You know what I mean? Are we really supposed to trust that he's uh, the kind of horse going to run well here? But he did run well in the World Cup, so I wouldn't discount him. I don't know. Where else am I supposed to go here? Yeah, there's just not – I mean, it, it, I understand that there's going to be some – some long shot looks at a horse like Law Professor because of how well he's run at Aqueduct. I can't take a horse like that off of that kind of layoff. You're a trainer who's not winning anything. Sources can't run anymore. Exactly. Yeah, he's had a very, very rough go of it the last 90 days or so. Um, I, I thought maybe a, a, a slight case could be made for a horse like O'Connor because I do think he ran well last time at Charlestown. He did get buried by his stable mate. Um, but he'd have to elevate his game, and quite honestly, he's not been as good anywhere else maybe at times as he'd been in Florida. So it's uh, it's a situation where you're going to get a high percentage barn with IRAD, so you're going to get a shorter price than you really need. What's your read in general on the Jockey Club Gold Cup and what ultimately about Tyson's performance made you get to him? I thought he ran fast enough to, be, to beat a lot of horse in here. He's not going to be that short a price. I don't know. Once you, if you don't trust that Chargent or, or Xander are going to win this race, who are you supposed to run to? And you're making a case for O'Connor. Um, I don't know. Where, where's his fast race? You know, he's a horse that saved ground pretty much the whole way last time out for breaking a little slow. And yeah, he made a little bit of a run, but didn't he make a run because there's just sort of nobody else in there? Yeah, it's exactly why. Right. There was nobody else in there. It was a, it was a very underwhelming performance by a number of horses that were expected to run better. And, and I do think his, his rally is one of those that borders on being a bit of a mirage. Um, he, he really has not been the same horse that he was in his North American debut. I also think a lot of that has to do with Safi Joseph's horses in general running better with Lasix. He's second time Lasix off, so I feel a little bit better about it, but that's getting in the weeds a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't have a, I don't have a strong argument against that. I, I think it's a race where Tyson's last performance wins and the likes of Charge It and Zandon have burned an awful lot of money over the years, yeah. not running the way they were expected to, and they're going to be the two favorites. But, I mean, you could argue Zandon is getting some class relief, and he also is supposed to get some pace for a change. So maybe he'll actually get enough pace he can make his run. He can drop back and make one run. But he is a little bit tiresome at this point, isn't he? He, he is. It's remarkable to me that a horse like him at this stage of his career, now with a stud deal waiting for him, we really don't know exactly what his best distance is. Well, I don't know. He's run well enough at a mile and an eighth. Is a mile his best distance? I don't know. It's not like he ran badly in the Travers or even the Derby. He's just, he's just, he's just a horse that doesn't seem to seal the deal. But a lot of times he's not sealing the deal against some better horse than he's running here. I mean, sometimes these races, you just say it after the race, when Zanon wins well, he finally found the right field. But I don't need that at a short price. 
no, that could end up being the case. I mean, it might just be that simple that he's found the right bunch in the Woodward. Again, a really fun running of it, lacking a standout, but that's okay. That doesn't mean that it's not an interesting race from both a fan and betting perspective. We're going to look at the uh, other remaining legs of the late pick five, which begins with that Woodward race. Eight is a one other than for New York Reds at seven furlongs, where Be the Boss is likely to be a pretty solid favorite. Bested last time by a head by win for gold, who came back and won on uh, Thursday and uh, did so benefiting from a, a bit of a, a strong speed bias. Uh, but, I mean, I, I don't think that changes the fact that that Be the Boss is clearly the horse to beat in here. Gee, I didn't think it was a speed bias today. I, th- I, mean, I shouldn't say it was a speed bias. It felt advantageous to be forwardly placed. Maybe. I, there were an awful lot of logical horses that were forward, right? Uh, and there were horses uh, made up no, second or third that weren't such short prices. I'm not sure of that. I'm 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 skeptical. I was I was just looking it over and I said in my track trends, I said it's worth following going forward and forward horses did well. I'm not sure. But he ran very fast. And not only he run fast today, he, he ran fast and there were big gaps, you know, from first to second, second to third, you know, it's sort of like the whole field gapped out. Yeah, he's gotten very good right now. And and I mean uh, the second place horse ran ran today. And he beat him. He beat him rather comfortably. No, I, I agree. I mean, it, it, he's a horse that's just those hard knocking veterans. When you get them right, and they can really perform, race in and race out. And he's going on what four or five races in a row now, where he's performed extremely well. So. Yeah, I, I picked him second because I just don't want to pick him on top. But I think he's very likely winner. I thought Kalalu would run well here. Got left last time, you know, and he jammed him right on the rail. I don't think the rail was bad, but he's stuck right on the rail and. He just never really got into the race, but he has run some faster races, and I have a bit of a thing for him. So I'm going to take him in here. Um, he's a horse that's run well in wet tracks. You know, he got that ridiculous ride three back on the muddy seal track. I, I thought he was the he was the other horse in here. Uh, I agree. I thought that uh, it, it seemed that simple. Race number nine is scheduled for the turf. Again, we're anticipating that this race will likely be moved to the main track after – uh, the rain that is supposed to come in. We're taping this on Thursday night. But there's supposed to be a, a copious amount of rain on Friday. Yeah, uh, this race will be on the turf. Uh, yeah, this race will likely not be on the turf. I mean, I, I, I guess that makes Paradise Lane the horse, the likely yeah. favorite on the outside. Yeah, and I think he is legitimate. You know, he lost to a heavy favorite last time. I thought he ran fair. Um, the other speed was third. Um, I think was a was a Clarvich, Chad Brown firster. I was like nine to one. What do you think about sensing flatter? I mean, isn't it weird that Christophe is running this horse so aggressively on the on the turf? I mean, the dam side is dirt. He's a flatter. I mean, there is turf, but either this horse has never shown him anything on the dirt in the morning, or this is a horse sort of like uh, the New York bred, you know, uh, that's running earlier in the card that, that got good that has that he tried on the turf. What's his name? Oh, he's running tomorrow. Um, you know, the one who won the uh, Albany. Drake's Passage. Yeah. Maybe this horse belongs on this surface. So, Pedigree says more dirt. I took him over the 16. I don't know who else you're supposed to take in here. Do you? I mean, No. No. I mean, it's, it's, it's one where if you're a workout report user, you'll probably want to peruse it just to see maybe who's worked a little bit better on the dirt. But, yeah, I mean, nobody really sticks out as a horse that might have been oddly placed on, on turf. Um, yeah. These horses are bred pretty well for turf, and, and it looks like they would generally go that direction. So, yeah, I, don't, I didn't really see anything else. I mean, the 
Uh, I guess maturity dates could take some money and he is an upstart, but I don't have any reason to believe he's supposed to improve a lot. I guess you could use him a little bit. You know, what about the 11 scandalous does seem like Todd a lot of the time if he leaves them in, they run okay, but I'd be more 13 and 16. You know, 16 is way worse to beat. Yeah, definitely the horse to beat. This is this the uh, Paradise Woods first full, right? Paradise Woods, of course, the the very nice race mare trained by both uh, Dick Mandela and Paradise and uh, John. I did not realize she spent. She made her last seven starts for John Sheriff. So I almost I completely forgot that for some reason. Well, he's probably very insulted. This is her first. You guys are buddies, so you're gonna have to let him know. John's great. He is. He's an excellent trainer as well. Yes, he is. He will bid for a grade one win with Skinner and the awesome again. And uh, we'll talk about that on this network at some point, but it won't be me. On to race number 10, the first half of the late double. Again, anticipating that this race comes off the turf, which is a bit of a shame because I was actually looking forward to seeing how some of these horses performed on the lawn, um, including some who outperformed expectations lately. Uh, Sail with the Wind was an awfully nice looking winner on the dirt last time. I guess this horse just wanted the dirt all along. And the third horse came back and improved the buyer figure four points, running second to a, losing to a heavy favorite. I, I don't see why I'm supposed to bet against this horse. Yeah, this Leah Giamatti has quietly had a handful a of her very yeah. well in the last four months or so. And this is the only one who did it without really taking an appreciable amount of money at the windows. But yeah, she was very good last time. And you mentioned North End Lady really took Nolita all the way to the wire on Sunday afternoon. And Nolita was was what one to five in there. Um, this is one of those interesting races off the turf because the MTO is kind of not really very good. And so you're going to have to sift through the dirt form of the rest of the field. And there isn't much. Well, Swedish princess is fine. You know, that was a big speed track on that August 11th day. And she made a move, you know, I, I don't think she ran bad. The rail was good. She was wide. I, I don't love the trainer. Thing. There's nothing against Jimmy Ferraro, but claiming from George Weaver kind of worries me a little bit. But she's all right, you know. So I thought you eight and thirteen, you're supposed to be okay with them. The ten, Sarah Kisses is not bad coming from Finger Lakes. She didn't run well when she was at Naira, but maybe she's an improved horse since then. I mean, she's not impossible, right? No, she's not. She's not. And with regards to Sweetest Princess, it's again, it's nothing against Jimmy Ferrara, but as you said, it's claiming from Weaver and a horse that kind of performed uh, pretty well for George, which is, yeah. is what makes you a little little concerned. I wonder, I'm sure he'll end up running her on dirt because this field looks like it will really... No, oh, yeah. Really she'll be second choice on dirt, I think. I would imagine so. I just looked through, I'm looking through the race and trying to figure out... No. Yeah, I mean, maybe the Finger Lakes horse will take a little bit of money, but I don't know. Uh, those... Disruption's going to be the speed, but disruption's terrible, you know? Yeah, she's, she's not good. The Blinkers ended up not doing the trick, but she... Uh, she did at least show a little more speed. She did beat Carapara, who came back and won, which uh, has won twice, actually. So Atlantics so. ran fine. She was second. So. But Carapara was also with the track when she won. But she to be fair, they both improved. Yeah, that's fair. And, that's, she's a, and listen, I'm not going to be shocked if the disruption does okay here on the dirt. No, I mean, there's, there's going to be nobody left. So, I mean, it's right. not right. It's not going to surprise if she wins this race. It's you know, it's it's going to take about, what, a 60 six buyer speed figure if Leah's horse doesn't run back to her last race, which I don't know why she shouldn't. She's way the worst to beat. Way the worst to beat, no doubt about it. That brings a very difficult sequence to a conclusion in race number 11, which is a $30,000 New York bred maiden claimer at six furlongs, where the prior form is really <laughs> lacking outside of the most recent start for Poseidon's Mist, which wasn't exactly a race that'll bowl you over. No, I mean, I'm going to use Poseidon's Miss. I just realized I had the wrong number written down. I had to pick that horse third. Well, even Atlas. Uh, 
What's that? Even Atlas Shrugged, you're allowed to make one mistake per week. Yeah, I would probably also use um, Perfectly Imperfect. Um, I mean, it's an odd stat, but maybe especially to Maiden Claimer's second start, two for four for uh, Jack Sisterson. And I don't think that horse ran perceptibly worse in that race than uh, than 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 the five did, especially as a first time starter. So I could use that horse. The obvious first starter that people use is the ten, right? Yes. But I don't know. I mean, not great numbers. I looked this up. Uh, first time stars, maiden claimers, and dirt sprints. Jose D'Angelo, who's a good trainer, he's two for twenty five with five hitting the board. So it's pretty lousy numbers, you know. No, those are weak numbers, no doubt about it. You've also got a first-time starter from uh, Brad Cox's barn that is a about a Steve Landers homebred, as you're going to get. He bred this horse, um, and he also owned Leo Frick. And Leo Frick's had a couple of horses run okay first time out, but um, they've not. They, he doesn't have any winners yet. And this horse is this horse's pedigree stinks. And and you know, two-year-old maiden claiming first-time stars dirt sprints. Um, Brad Cox is eight for thirty-nine with a dollar thirty-three ROI. So that's certainly nothing to write home about. Obviously, that horse could win. I'm not inclined to fall for that horse. You know what horse I think might be a runner here? Song of Salamini. Those Salaminis are running first time out. Chris Englehart's a very dangerous trainer with first timers at times. I don't know. These workouts are almost too slow to be true. Right? Six furlongs and 19. Give me a break. Well, and he's just not really a guy I think I've spent a lot of time worrying about that because his horses generally are fit and – you know, the good thing about this horse is that if he has any ability, she has any ability, you're going to know in the first three strides because she's going to show speed um, or, or not. And yeah. seeing, No, no, that's a good point. Yes, yeah, so have, have done fine, including uh, his first stakes winner, which uh, was Solo Shot, who won the Lady Finger on Monday at Finger Lakes, owned, of course, in partnership by Major League Baseball All-Star and third baseman for the reigning World Series champions, Alex Bregman. Yeah. Hopefully they won't get eliminated from the playoffs this weekend. The Orioles clinch tonight. Future uh, wild card, uh, wild card team. Hopefully, Blue the Jays. Orioles, tonight, the Orioles clinched, and they got a they got a thirty year lease at Camden Yards. Maybe people will stop uh, criticizing them for not for for not making the mistake of uh, accepting a ten year lease. We've only we've only uh, temporarily suspended the talk of them moving at least, which is good. So <laughs> they never were moving. They were never moving. Well, that's a look at the late pick five. In addition to the graded stakes on Saturday's Belmont at the Big A card, you can, of course, catch Andy on Talking Horses uh, just about every Naira racing day, including for this Saturday card. First post is at 12.05 Eastern time, a little bit earlier start on Saturday. A lot of coverage available on the uh, Fox Sports family of networks. Again, my friend, thank you for joining me. Really appreciate it. And yeah, let's just say we're not on past 3.30. We're showing the stakes. The late pick five will be on YouTube. Yeah, right. Exactly. So you'll catch those last four races on YouTube. Is it FS2 for the, the first seven? I believe so. Um, okay. I, could, I could look it up if it really hangs yeah, out. Makes, makes perfect. I'm happy to look it up. Give me a second. It takes two seconds. What is that? September 30th, FS2, 12 to 3.30. Good to hear, of course. And we will look forward to seeing you on there. Thanks again. And uh, we're going to keep this moving along. We're thrilled to continue our partnership with Woodbine for the 2023 season this weekend. Features Canadian bred stakes racing, including the breeder stakes on Sunday afternoon. If you've not heard it yet on this podcast, listen to Drew Coatney go over the Saturday late pick four as well as Sunday's breeder stakes. And next up on the In the Money Players podcast, we welcome our man north of the border. He's actually south of the border, not by much, 
But Drew Coatney is here to talk about Woodbine. We're going to talk about the late pick four on Saturday afternoon and the breeders itself. Drew basking in the glow of a big Lions win from Thursday night. What's going on? Uh, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. And, you know, half, if not three-fourths of my office or uh, in, in my actual day job are based out of uh, Wisconsin. So there's going to be some fun conversations had about, you know, how can you not get a first down in the first half? So I'm excited. Yeah, it's, you know, Packers are one of those teams that uh, anybody in the Midwest, if you beat them, they've always got a target on their back. So that was a tour de force for the Lions last night and a very, very strong performance. Reasons to be optimistic, if for none other than you know that if your team ever got in a street fight, the person that would be feared the most is the coach. Yeah, I know. I know. I'd run through a wall for that man. I can only imagine his players feel similarly. And uh, it is it is fun to see. He brings a lot of energy to the team. And yeah, I, I've, I find myself becoming a, a bit of a, of a Lions fan at times. It's uh, they're 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 pretty easy to root for. But one of the things everybody out there is rooting for Drew, of course, is for us to figure out how to navigate this pick four sequence that begins in race number seven. That's at four thirty five Eastern time. And we're going to start it at the very least with a very heavy favorite on the outside in the form of Hayek, a, a daughter of Cairo Prince, who was a good second on debut. Are you going to stand alone with her or look for some other options? I'm going to look for an option, but I'll use uh, Hayek because um, I, I think that horse just was a maybe a little touch short first off the start. Atar is 24% of second timers, so speed and go. But the top top choice for me is the number three, Azeel, at 8-1. to one. I think made a big early move and then flattened down the lane. And today going the full six and a half furlongs will be in a better position to make that wide move and run into the pace collapse, which I think looks like there's a lot of cheap speed in here, which I think goes against Hayek trying to have to deal with all this speed and figure out, okay, well, is Hayek now at a very short price going to have to rate off that speed and then make a move? So number three is Zeal at eight to one. I don't think you can go too wrong with this pace setup and the, and the little bit of stretch out for this horse. I like it. This is a horse that uh, is actually a filly who debuted against males and uh, made that strong late move. Blinkers going on could only sharpen her up a little bit early, and that's hardly a bad thing whatsoever. That's the opening leg of this sequence. Race number eight is leg number two, six furlongs on the E.P. Taylor turf course. We'll see what's going to go on weather-wise. I know they're, they're getting a lot of rain in the Northeast. I don't know if it's going to extend all the way over into Canada, but, of course, these races generally hold together when they come off the turf because of the synthetic surface. We actually have an American invader uh, who's making her second start at Woodbine and Mrs. Green, a horse that we saw run well a couple of times in uh, in New York last year. But this is a very wide-open-looking race, Drew. I thought it was one where you'd probably have to cast a wide net. Yeah, I agree. And forecast is looking sunny today, sunny tomorrow. So it's going to be a beautiful day. And and, uh, every time it's sunny in Toronto, I think of the picture that Tommy Mass has posted over Woodbine Mile Day. Feet up, shoes off, socks on. I mean, that that man means business there. But I'm going to go with the number 11, Breathing Fire, 12 to 1. Last out, uh, ran a great one, getting the bad start and then trying to close in late at the five furlongs, which is a really, really tough thing to do. Today gets to stretch out to the six and has speed drawn everywhere in this race. I think that's critical to know. And this one should be able to hit the frame and is good enough to win in this open field, I think, at, at the minimum. Um, you know, at six furlongs going the outer, I know, you know, JK's old saying, you know, find the best speed in these sprint races, but. I think Woodbine plays a little bit different at times, especially with those wide turns. Um, that's a little goofy in configuration. So I don't really like to subscribe to that, except for when you're going five furlongs, five and a half, five furlongs. So the 11 breathing fire to come off the pace for me. 
you got to imagine there's three Cassie runners in here. Number two run for the Hills, number three, Mrs. Green. And then I think it's the number seven, Kyra's Blessing. I think they got the morning long wrong here. I think Mrs. Green is going to take some money, and that's my second choice. We'll be, um, I think, three to one, four to one in this spot here, and has some decent back class coming from Monmouth and Belmont, like you mentioned. Last out, uh, had to run over the good going, and it was a bridge too far, trying to tend the pace and fend off a good horse and perhaps tonight, and really pulled himself into the race and should be able to press. Uh, the other speeds in here. And then I will also use the number one Dolce Suppressa. I think this price is going to drift up um, stocks and ha- it will have the rails. So sit- ground saving trip ran a really good one and then N2L. So can we trust the figure or not? I think that's why this price is going to drift up a little bit, but Hernandez aboard for Dolce Suppressa and uh, Josie Carroll. They've won 38% of the time uh, out of 16 starts this year at the meet. So I maybe that'll draw some money, but overall, I think this one is a question mark and still could be trending upwards. So, hopefully, we see five, six to one on that horse. Yeah, I thought there was one horse I wanted to mention who might just be more of a of a placing candidate than a winner. Um, I thought the four hello friends, who's been a little pace compromised in her last two starts, really didn't run poorly in the turf effort two back, uh, albeit against what was probably a weaker field top to bottom. But this is a, a an old veteran mayor who's going to get some pace to run at. She hasn't had a lot of opportunities in that scenario in the past. So I think she could be a good trifecta or superfecta clunk up. And with the 20 cent increments that you can bet at, that's always a good, good pool to get involved in a little bit and maybe try to create a little value. Yeah. Like it. On to race number nine, the penultimate leg of this Saturday late pick four sequence. We go seven and a half furlongs on the inner turf course. And uh, this is another race where I thought contention ran pretty deep. I guess we're going to get a relatively soft favorite potentially in the two Mason's Gamble. The six roaring 40s comes in off a narrow win over Mason's Gamble as a nine to five favorite. Uh, he'll get plenty of support at the windows as well. Another tough one, Drew. Yeah, I don't have a really strong strong field, so I'm going with the number seven Dundrum. Cuts back in distance and should be able to control the pace and figures, and the overall pace fits for this one. You know, when I say control the pace, what I mean is I think staying in touch with this entire field, making sure that things go right. And I kind of look back to the the race four back um, at a similar level, going the full mile, and pretty much just stalked, stalked, and then had nothing left in the tank. So. Maybe today, cutting back the half panel, the extra distance, uh, and the last two starts going the full uh, 10 furlongs kind of gets this one trained up and ready to go. And I think it's going to go overlooked in the betting market. Uh, the other one, I Tom Cruise is sitting on a big race, the number 10, 6-1. to one. Um, I'm going to excuse the uh, sing spiel effort. And today, I think either could go to the lead or press the pace. You know, 81 figure earned after throwing in the towel, essentially. Um, down the stretch. So I, I think this one is really ready to, to pop again and, and run a, a good 90 buyer speed figure. And then I want to use underneath a little bit. Number nine, Avoman um, has, has really waded into some deep waters in the last few starts against some good horses. Needs that pace battle to unfold up front to close into it. But overall, I think the figures fit it for this horse and some fun, funny things can happen going two turns at this sharp distance. So Number nine, Avoman, for me, is like a little underneath use. Makes perfect sense. And Town Cruise, of course, is a classic example of the where have they now, where are they now, um, the September uh, 2021 Woodbine Mile winner, who was looking to get his second win since that score at 8-1 to one 
where I think his price cut in half during that race. I remember remember saying it the day before on Steve Big Show, I thought he could go wire to wire, and they reached mid-stretch. I was like, well, they're not going to catch this horse. And uh, yeah. things have not gone according to plan since, but no doubt he is still a major contender. That is in race nine. Race 10, we close out the card at six furlongs on the Tapita surface. These are uh, 25,000 maiden claimers, 25 down to 23 and a half. And uh, just your run-of-the-mill packed gate with a lot of contention. Yeah, and I, I think you can really narrow this down. And you, I mean, betting efficiently, you probably should just pick one that you like best. I'm going to go with the off the pace and the speed of the two logical horses. So the number five war vow three to one, you know, cross the line to their last race. Something just didn't go right. Should be able to get back to the old form and get the job done with the right trip overall best figures. And then the number three miss Waterloo. I think it's just a speed and go. Um, the inside draw is going to help. And I don't see a ton of speed stacked up in here. So should be able to clear fairly easily. So two for me, if you're betting efficiently, maybe focus on one or the other. Um, it's going to be really interesting to watch the tote board to see what happens. Cause I think three to one and four to one on both of those horses is kind of a gift in what looks like a no man's land. When you look beyond those two. Yeah. Warfowl looked like a horse with some trouble in prior starts that I think you can count on running better this time around. Well, that's a look at Saturday's late pick four sequence, but of course our friends North of the border have been big supporters of the network for a long time. So we want to highlight some of their biggest races, which include the breeder stakes on Sunday. This is the final leg of the Canadian triple crown, a triple crown that is run on synthetic dirt and turf. This one at a mile and a half, once around the giant EP Taylor turf course. And uh, Drew, they certainly didn't have any shyness at the entry box. This is a field that could have been as big as 18. 14 will go postward when all is said and done. You've got horses coming out of the Wonder Where, including Tito's Calling, who looks like a, a major player this time around. You have the uh, the King's Plate winner, Paramount Prince, in there as well. Um, it is just a really fun edition of this race. We don't have the Prince of Wales winner, but again, we have the King's Plate winner and we have the runner-up from the Prince of Wales that are all trying to, uh, to go long on the turf, something that none of them have done before. Yeah. And, you know, I, this is going to be a really interesting race. Um, Pace-wise, you kind of have to look at Elysian Field is going to press the pace. Um, Philip, my dear, is going to press the pace. And then Paramount Prince is going to send. And going that full distance, I mean, sometimes you can sneak away with it. But I think these uh, these riders are going to be pretty smart about not letting them get too far. And I think it, I think it's Wickenheiser's race to lose at this point. I'm fascinated to see what the morning line is. I just checked odds checker. See if we can't get any clues on it. Not seen anything yet as I search live, but really had last out had a had a tough overall trip um, and having to close on the slow pace and should get that pace to heat up. So I think Wickenheiser has a really great shot in here to get the job done. Yeah, I thought he made a lot. Of, she made a lot of sense. I should say a Philly facing males, but um, I, I gotta say, you know, depending on, and I'm interested in seeing the morning line as well. I have a hard time believing I'm going to bet this race and not go in the direction of British Artillery, who has been running in nothing but open company races and now faces uh, Ontario Breds for the first time since last year's Cup and Saucer when he got involved in a white hot pace and then tired late. I know his on track performances have not really made it look like. Distance is going to be his friend, but I mean, this is a this is a horse by English Channel out of a Rahi mare, and I think part of the problem with why he's tired late is that he's just been in a number of fast paced races, and I think the slower gallop is really going to help his chances substantially. So I'm I'm very intrigued by British Artillery, who uh, draws uh, down towards the inside in the two post. 
worth noting as well, the runner-up that I mentioned from the Prince of Wales is uh, Kauko Kaiopu, um, who runs for uh, Tedston Holder, was a non-factor in the King's Plate, but did come back with that better effort. His turf races are better than they look. They were late-season two-year-old races, one of which was a really fast-paced race in September. So don't sleep on this horse's ability to bounce back on the turf. That's uh, that's just my my little word of warning. Yeah, no, and uh, and British uh, British, what is it? It's uh, not British royalty. It's British, British artillery. Yeah, British royalty is also trained by Barbara Mitchell, um, the distance specialist over the turf course. So she knows how to get him trained for the long distance, and. I, British Royal, British artillery. Gosh, that's going to get me tripped up a few times before we're done. Um, she knows how to get them trained long. So it, it's an interesting one. I wish there was one longer race in there. Um, but overall, makes all the sense. Makes a lot of sense there for sure. Drew, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to the uh, the Woodbine action this weekend. We've got a big weekend on tap a week from now with the EP Taylor and a number of stakes races getting us towards that ultimate uh, fall goal, which I know is yours as well, the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita, where you'll defend your Breeders' Cup betting challenge title. Heck yeah, I'm looking at the trophy right now. I think it will be a interesting one. I can't wait. I just... It's it's like half reunion, half uh, half just the most beautiful betting day, two days uh, <laughs> on the planet. So my favorite weekend of the year. It is going to be tremendous. I'm looking forward to being at Santa Anita myself and can't wait. Drew, thanks so much for joining us. We're going to keep on trucking on this Players Podcast. Very excited to have Santa Anita on board as a sponsor once again. We're going to have a ton of Santa Anita content leading up to the Breeders' Cup and including the Breeders' Cup itself. Santa Anita content will include live streams of their big race days. A couple of those slated for this week with Pete being joined by a variety of special guests that will cover that racing in depth. You can also be sure to click on InTheMoneyPodcast.com for daily analysis of the Santa Anita races from Dean Kepler. Also some work throughout the meet from our friend Frank Scatoni. Santa Anita Racing right here at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. And we're going to close the show by shifting our attention east, and I mean way east, to the uh, JRA, our partners there. We're glad to have back on board. And joining me is Klaus Ebner from up at Woodbine, who uh, has been our man to go to for some of the JRA coverage. And Klaus, I'm going to make a prediction that this is not the last time we're going to be talking about Japanese horses with regards, at the very least, to what they might be able to do on these shores. Yeah, it's uh, certainly a very interesting time of year. You know, it's, we're, we're happy to have the JRA back here in North America with the Sprinter Stakes. But yeah, certainly, you know, I have, uh, as, as you do as well, Nick, a very keen eye in terms of who's coming over from Japan for the Breeders' Cup. Um, I think as it stands right now, they're going to have a five strong contingent, maybe more. But uh, yeah, it's it's always great to see them, them ship over and, and challenge the best of the world. Yeah, we, of course, are, are just two years removed from a very successful Breeders' Cup down at Del Mar, where um, Love's Only You took the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf, and Marshall Lorraine won the Distaff. There was not a whole lot of participation from the Japanese last year at Keeneland, but I do think it being back on the West Coast will certainly uh, in- increase interest quite a bit. And, you know, you've, you've undoubtedly talked about this at length with Pete uh, during your, your multiple appearances on here, but, you know, this... I, I will admit personally, I really enjoy the, the way the Japanese have performed on the global stage. And it feels like uh, it's just a real result of what happens when a good, coherent plan gets put in place and it meets with opportunity. Yeah. And, and also the fact just that, 
you know, this is nothing to slight any any of our, any of our tracks here in North America or around the world, but you know the the Japanese trainers and their horses are really provided the the utmost in facilities over in Japan via their training centers. So you know they have pools available to them. They have uphill training. They have a whole different range of surfaces and 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 you know uh, conditions on which their horses can train over in Japan at the training centers. They have two major ones in Japan. Uh, and then we spoke about it before. I know, uh, it, and really just the fact that you know the Japanese continue to buy up some of the best mares in the world, whether they be from Europe or South America, or you know, especially in in North America now. You know, we're seeing a lot of the top mares being sent to Japan, and, and that's really just that whole plan of you know the Japanese trying to figure out and and mix the best of their bloodlines, and that's usually obviously the, the Sunday Silence line horses, whether it be Deep Impacts line or you know some other horses that have that kind of Sunday Silence blood. And mix those with European and, and North American pedigrees, and, and try to have these super horses. And again, they've, they've proven time and time again that it's, it seems to work. That mix, that mix of brilliance uh, of stamina and speed, undoubtedly, and we've seen it play out uh, really all across the globe. We'll talk to us a little bit about the Sprinter Stakes, which will take place on a Sunday in Japan. Of course, Saturday here in North America. Yeah, certainly. This is uh, for me. This is a, a wide open race. You know, I looked at this race you know, five, six times, and I've come up with different horses each time. Uh, so certainly if there's, you know, if you're looking for a price, I think this could be the race on, on, on you know, it's Saturday for us in, on the on the East Coast. Uh, the race will go off, you know, in, in the morning, Sunday morning uh, for us. Uh, but again, it is Sunday in Japan. So, and again, this is the Sprinter Stakes, six furlong sprint race over the Nakama race course. You know, I, I've, I've kind of focused on five that I've kind of caught my interest in here for various reasons. You know, that two of the top in the market, I, I feel, will be a horse called Nemora Claire. Uh, you know, fifth in his event, event last year as a three-year-old filly. And she was only sec- second, being only a length in the grade one, Takamatsumi Akinen uh, in March, which is also the, the other sprint race in Japan. You know, comes in comes in off a nice victory in the grade three Keeneland Cup. And I, I think that she probably, in my opinion, you know, she, she will be the one to beat. Obviously getting a weight allowance, being a four-year-old filly in this event against uh, Open Company. You know, another one who's a, a, a you know, a filly as well, and that's uh, Mama Kocha. Uh, this one's actually a full sister to Sodashi. And so everyone knows, the, you know, Sodashi, but, this, you know, Mama Kocha uh, being a full, full is obviously going to grow some interest as well in there. Uh, and one who seems to be kind of rounding into her best form. Uh, second last time out in her last start, but she's really enjoyed cutting back in distance after racing in a mile earlier this year. She is in the hands of one of the best trainers in Japan being uh, Yasutoshi Ike. And I think that's, uh, you know, is one that will be on the improve, making her second start off of layoffs. So, again, those I think in the markets, those two will probably be two of the, the favorites, if you will. And then if, you know, we're looking for kind of longer price horses or, or horses that are interesting. <coughs> excuse me. Um, one that's very interesting to me is, is Pixie Knight. I, I was a big fan of this horse. I still am a big fan of this horse. He seems to be rounding back into form. He won this event last year. Uh, and, but then went to Hong Kong. I'm not sure if anyone remembers that event, but in the Hong Kong sprint last year, there was a, a horse that fell from Hong Kong, caused some chaos in behind, uh, including Pixie Knight, who fell over that horse uh, in the race. So again, it's something you never want to see in a group one, let alone horse racing as a whole. Um, Pixie Knight, you know, he was injured as well with that fall, came back with a few, you know, eighth and ninth place efforts. But I, I really think based on what I'm hearing from the trainer is that, 
you know, he's finally kind of getting into back to where he was last year this time after the fall. So, you know, it could be a mental thing, could be a physical thing for Pixie Knight, but, you know, he's certainly proven the class and, and, and is one, I think, that it can, it can round into form. I'm not saying he can win on the weekend, but I think if he puts in his best effort, he could be, you know, probably in the in the top three for this race. And then the one horse I am looking at as a longer price horse is a front runner uh, who will be certainly on the front end. Um, lots of speed. He's won back-to-back group threes, or grade threes coming into this, in, into this with uh, back-to-back times of 107 and change for six furlongs on the turf. So, uh, yeah, he, he certainly knows how to run and run fast, and that's a horse called Jasper Crone, uh, American bred by Frost and a kid enjoys mare. You know, he, he's won back-to-back grade threes, so certainly be tested for class, but, you know, I, at least I know with him where he'll be in the race. He did draw the 13, but, you know, if he can work out a race a, a trip from that spot, He'll be towards the front. I think he's got a shot. He, he's held off a few of them, including, you know, horses like Mama Coach in the past. So I think, you know, if, if he can step up to grade one company, he has a big shot in here to take this field wire to wire. And also, I like is the fact that he's uh, two for three over this racetrack. That's a great look in depth for sure. I guess the biggest question that uh, inquiring minds have is, is the full to Sadashi the same color? uh that is a very good question um but right now as it stands uh she's actually brown so (laughs) she she is not a letdown what a letdown just the most striking horse you'll ever find uh that's a great look at the sprinter stakes another grade one that we have on uh on early sunday morning north american time uh class i wanted to ask you about a couple of horses that we've seen on a global stage in the past, including Dermis Sotagake, who, of course, won the UAE Derby in very impressive fashion back in March and contested the Kentucky Derby. Word came out earlier this week that he's going to be one of a couple of horses pointing to the Breeders' Cup Classic from Japan. Tell us a little bit about what Dermis Sotagake has had going on since then and give us maybe a little bit of a cursory glance at what you, how you think he might fit in the Classic. Certainly, yeah. So with, with Dermis Sotagake, it was interesting because, as you mentioned, Nick, he he had he went back to Japan, was supposed to have one prep and come to back to the US for the classic. That was the goal initially. Uh sustained a bit of a leg injury, and everyone said, Well, you know, even the connection said, Well, you know, it's we're kinda we're gonna kinda have to, you know, scuttle the uh it, the, the trip back over to, to North America for the classic, but we'll, you'll see him next year in Dubai and other events in, in North America. But now all of a sudden, as you mentioned last week, all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of a shock to all of us that kind of followed Japan racing. We saw a notice saying, oh, by the way, the, the injury, he's come over it. Uh, he's training very well now. So, yes, he will be aimed for the Breeders' Cup Classic. So, interesting. And, and I think just the fact that, you know, everyone saw him. He put in a, you know, after a, a somewhat poor start in the Derby, put in a, you know, respectable effort. Uh, pretty sure it was six that he finished in the, in the, in the Derby that uh, this, this past May. You know, I, I think he's one that could add some intrigue to the race. Uh, you know, he, we'll see we'll see how he does. You know, usually, as we both know, California tracks are somewhat speed favoring. He If he runs the same way he did in, in Dubai, he doesn't need to be on the lead, but he could be forwardly placed, and I think that'll help him out. Uh, he'll have the services of Christophe Lemaire yet again. He'll have more experience with him. In, and, uh, you know, again, the only, only issue I guess I would have with him is just the fact that He'll be coming in off a giant layoff. I haven't heard of any sort of prep races for Dermot Sogake uh, in U.S. or in Japan right now. So as I understand it, uh, he may just ship to, to you know America and train up to the Classic and, again, off of a monster layoff off the Derby. So, again, I'm not putting it past the, the connections to, to get him right. 
Um, but it, just in my opinion, that's a huge layoff to come into the race off of, you know, the Derby being your last race and then into the classic. So um, interesting. Uh, and I think that layoff will also add some price if you're a fan of Dermot Sogaki in the race. Um, and I think, you know, again, it is one to look at and, and one I'll still be betting on. Um, but still, I think there's, you know, for me, at least there's some kind of hesitation off that giant layoff. Um, if you're looking at the classic, uh, a horse who's very familiar for those that watch Dubai racing, uh, and that, that World Cup card, and that's Ushba Tesoro. Uh, he's just the, you know, the, the six-year-old campaigner keeps going. Uh, he did have a his final prep for the Breeders' Cup Classic uh, this past weekend at the uh, Funabashi Racecourse, which is an NAR racecourse. There was the uh, Nippon TV High. That was a grade two, Japanese grade two uh, in Japan over a mile and eighth. And he won that pretty easy. So uh, he won that gear down for home. So you couldn't ask for more out, out of a prep for Ushba Tesoro. You know, again, I think, I think his running style kind of goes against the profile of, of horses running at Santina. But you know what? Uh, if if things get hot on the front end on the, in the Classic, uh, you know, he's one who I'll certainly be looking for from the back. Uh, you know, I, I think he certainly fits. He's, he's won the Dubai World Cup, so you know, you know, he can, he can go mile and a quarter with no problem, get the distance no problem, which I think, you know, is a question mark for some of these horses in the, in the Classic this year. Um, and again, you, you, you can, you know... You, He's, he's certainly a quality horse and, and has that quality in spades. Yeah, I mean, and, and with risk of sounding flippant, Maidon's really not the kind of place that generally sets up for a horse with his style either. So, you know, you at least acknowledge that if there's a pace on, then then he might be a very interesting candidate. And I just, I, I guess I'm intrigued by these horses because it feels like they're going to be a little under bet with regards to their actual chances of winning what is, you know, and it's not I'm not trying to insult anybody, but this is not a particularly strong classic. It's it's a three year old laden crop of old of the classic horses. Uh, the older horses are not very good, and it's a great opportunity for strangers. And, and I actually loved seeing the news that Derma Sotogake was going to run because I felt like that would kind of split some of the American support of the Japanese horses and actually might help Ushba Tesoro's price quite a bit. Um, I think he's a horse who's tremendously interesting just having having watched the World Cup. And I understand he got a really big pace set up that day, but I thought he ran well. And I think these Japanese entrants really, really have to justifiably at this point have to strike some fear into you as a, as a horse player. So that's great info. And um, I know you will be tasked with giving us more of it over the course of the next five weeks or so. Yeah, and certainly, if, if you know, we also there's another three horses aiming for the Breeders' Cup, just so everyone knows as well. So you know, you have uh, Shariar, who's a five-year-old horse who's aiming for the turf right now. Um, you know, he uh, he's undergone epiglottis surgery last month, so don't hold that last start against him. He'll be very tough. Uh, you know, he won the Shima Classic in 22. He's also the Dubai, uh, sorry, the the Japanese Derby winner in 21. Uh, you also have the a Philly, uh, sorry, Mare rather going to the Breeders' Cup Mile, who's just won back-to-back. Uh, grade ones in Japan. She's prepping this weekend in Japan before shipping over for the Breeders' Cup mile. And that's song line. So again, she's a quality miler. Uh, I, I think she's one of the best milers in the world, in my opinion. And, and we'll see how her strutter stuff, hopefully in, in the Breeders' Cup as well. And then last right now we have is an affiliate mare turf. And that's Win Maryland. Uh, she is not of the quality, in my opinion, or, uh, or class as Loves Only You, but she is still a very high quality mare. Uh, she did win the grade one Hong Kong Vaz in December of last year. So again, uh, she has the, the, the quality when when she's right. Uh, that's my biggest, biggest concern with Win Maryland is that fact that, you know, she kind of 
wins these graces with, with, with huge efforts, and then we'll, we'll throw a clunker in there, finishing, you know, 11th, 12th, 13th in, in a field. So, you know, um, there certainly will be some tough ones in the Philly and Turf this year from North America and, and Europe. Uh, so hopefully just, you know, you, you, speaking of odds, Nick, you may get some good odds on, on Win Maryland and the uh, Philly and Turf. Yeah, that'd be a okay with me. You know, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's worth noting, of course, that that uh, the Japanese have done particularly well. In Spiral has been mentioned as a Philly and Mare Turf uh, potential runner as well, so that could be a race where we've the American contingent in that division has been kind of in and out this year, and Warlike Goddess likely likelier to go to the Breeders' Cup Turf. I think kind of makes that race a a really soft spot for international runners. So it'll be great to have some representation. And, you know, it's, it's great to be talking about horses that can run here. That one race is the likes of the, of the Hong Kong Vaz, um, which is just one of the advantages of it being a West coast breeders cup with the increased involvement from the far East. So great to hear. And then that's a terrific rundown. And of course we'll be counting on you. If anybody uh, else looks like they're going to make the move from, uh, from Japan. Yeah. Thanks. They can, we'll, we'll do our best to get as much information as we can. For sure. Big thanks to Klaus for that look at the Sprinter Stakes and uh, some of the Japanese hopefuls for the Breeders' Cup. Hopefully you are considering your uh, your Breeders' Cup thoughts already. It's going to be here before we know it. We're going to be launching into Keeneland next week and the uh, high time of prep season that it is. So again, a big thanks to Klaus. Also a thank you to Kevin Kirstein, who joined us to talk about Churchill, Andy Serling on Belmont at the Big A, and Uh, Drew Coatney on Woodbine. It has been a terrific players podcast. A big thank you to all of you. Rate, like, subscribe, do all those things that help keep us afloat. If you're an In the Money Plus member, get ready for a lot of Keeneland and pre-Breeders' Cup content in addition to a number of other opportunities to hopefully help you make some winning wagers. Again, thanks to all of my guests. For Peter Thomas, Fornatel, Nick Tamaro, until next time, best of luck.